Amen. That was a blessing, and being in church this morning is also a blessing, and I I believe, as Danny said, it was good for us to honour the Anzacs this morning. It's good for us to do those things, and uh, it's good for us also, just like those folks sung, to remember what the Lord has done for us, uh, how the Lord's protected us, uh, not just as a church, as a nation, as individuals, and I think we're getting a bit of feedback there, guys, so can we just, like, drop that down a bit? See, I'm directing the sound desk from up the front. Um, (laughs) Uh, But it's good for us to be in church this morning, and good that we have the Word of God, and that's really bad, so maybe the choir mics are on. Um, Anyone else want me to tell you how to do your job this morning? Um, It's good that we have the Word of God, that we can open it, uh, we can learn from it, and I'm thankful for what the Lord's done in our church's life. Um, I'm thankful, uh, as we've seen, Pastor Shemish has been here with us for a number of weeks, and... uh, helping us, uh, guiding us, and just being a blessing to us. I hope you'd pray for them uh, back in Thailand at the moment and continuing on with their ministry there. They'll be having their service in a few hours this morning, so pray for them. Uh, Continue to pray for Pastor Lloyd and his family. Uh, I'm forever thankful for the work that he's done here and for the investment that he's made uh, over a number of years uh, as our pastor. And uh, I'm thankful just personally because he's been a great friend to me and invested a lot uh, in us here at this church. Uh, So continue to pray for them, please. Um, I I honestly believe I wouldn't be doing what I do today without uh, Pastor Lloyd's input. And uh, so just continue to pray for them. And uh, we're going to have a look at the Word of God this morning and uh, turn our attention to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We'll read a few verses from here in just a moment. So turn along there with me, Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to give you what I've called... This morning, five things we cannot do without in the Christian life. Five things we cannot do without in the Christian life. There's more than five things that we cannot do without, but this morning I wanted to just focus on some, I guess, key essentials. Uh, So five things that we cannot do without in the Christian life. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll have a look at some of these things. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for being the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Thank you that we have all that we have and we acknowledge this morning that it is from you, it is of you, Lord God, and ultimately it is for you. And uh, we just thank you for uh, joining us together here this morning, uh, building us together uh, as your church, your local church here. Uh, We thank you for that. We thank you for all who have input into our lives uh, over many years, Lord God. We thank you also as we celebrated this morning the, the Anzacs and everything that has taken place over a number of years for us to enjoy the freedoms that we have. We pray you continue to bless uh, those who have served, Lord God, and continue to serve. Father, help us as we turn our attention to your word this morning. Uh, We pray you'd guide us in our understanding of what we see today. Help us, Lord, to be more Christ-like as we walk away from here today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are in it. I pray you bless our time together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're in Matthew 7. Uh, I'm not going to read anything just there um, right now, uh, but I watched a TV show recently, and I'm not getting my message from a TV show just before you get a little bit concerned. I watched a TV show recently. Um, it, it, it wasn't one of those really dodgy survival shows. It was actually a, a proper one where they, they dropped some people off uh, basically on a remote island um, uh, I think it was in Canada somewhere. So there's 10 guys that they dropped off and they each had to essentially survive with the skills that they had learned over a number of years. So it was kind of like Bear Grylls, but it was real. Like they were there filming their own 
experience out there. And essentially it was uh, the last person to survive, you know, wins it all and gets a whole sum of money, blah, blah, blah. But I was watching it and I was interested to see within the first couple of days, each of the contestants, and they were all by themselves, like they didn't have any interaction with anyone else, each of the contestants uh, discovered that there was three essential things that they needed to sort out straight away from the moment they landed that they had to focus on. And those things were shelter, water, and food. So they, they, they recognised that without those things, they were not going to last very long at all, probably more than a couple of days. Um, and it was a harsh envir environment. It wasn't like, you know, just coming into, into the su suburbs and go down the street and get some food or anything like that. They had to find fresh water, or if they couldn't find fresh water, find a way to make a fire in the conditions that they had and be able to boil water and they can drink it, blah, blah, blah. And they were in, you know, environment where there's bears and cougars and all that kind of stuff. So it was real stuff. But what stuck out to me was that they all came to that same conclusion, that the first three things that we need are water, shelter and food. And it got me to think later on that that's essentially what the Christian life is like, not that we need water, shelter, food, but there are things that we just cannot do the Christian life without. And we need to remember what some of those things are. And we need to have that at the forefront of our mind, at the forefront of our ministries, forefront of our families, uh, just how we go into our week thinking about these certain things. And so I'm just drawing that parallel there for you to think about that, you know, there's many things in the Christian life that we can focus on, but sometimes we just have to come back to the essentials. Like, what are the things we really, really need? What are the things that we cannot do without? So I'm just going to give you five things out of a whole list of many, but five things this morning. And the first one is this, we cannot do without a biblical foundation. You cannot have the Christian life without your foundation being the Bible, the Word of God. Those two things go hand in hand. And just like that TV show that I watched, To Survive the Wilderness, uh, it's understandable that, you know, your focus out in the wilderness is going to be, I need some food, I need, you know, physical bread, something to, to, to sustain me, something to keep me going, you know, day by day, week by week. Uh, their focus was, like, how do I get food? But our focus is not the physical bread, not the physical food. It's the spiritual aspect of things. Now, and Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, 4, you don't have to turn there, Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. One thing we have to remind ourselves, and it sounds silly because, you know, you think you're a Christian, you should be reminded of this all the time, but we have to remind ourselves that we're navigating the Christian life uh, but we are primarily a spiritual being. So that means we need to have spiritual food, which is what Jesus Christ was talking about. He's saying, yeah, you have the things in your life physically that can sustain you, but primarily you and I, we are spiritual beings, and that's how God's made us. So we need to be focused on the spiritual food that's going to be essential to our Christian life. And, and Jesus is pointing this out here. And we need much more than just physical bread. We need spiritual bread. We're primarily a spiritual being in need of these things, spiritual guidance, spiritual direction, and spiritual understanding. I wonder what can give us that. I'm pretty sure the Word of God can give us that. I'm pretty sure that's why God gave us the Word, that we can get that spiritual input, we can get that spiritual understanding. And we need it because we need a strong spiritual foundation, and it comes from the Word of God. And you might say, oh, that's, yeah, that's pretty standard. I already, already knew that. But we still need to be reminded of it. 
because it's something that we need to keep going back and partaking of. You know, we all understand that you can't just read a few verses and that sustain you for the next few weeks. We have to continue to come back to it. You know, when you go and you eat at the buffet and you eat all you can eat, you still got to eat the next day, don't you? It's the same thing with the spiritual, spiritual life. Aside from physical pain, everything in our life affects us primarily in the inner man. Like we're affected by, by physical pain on the outside, but everything else that happens in your life is affecting you on the inside, is, is affecting your soul and your spirit. It's affecting your mind, your heart. So if that's the case, if 90% of everything we encounter in our life affects us spiritually, then we need to be fed spiritually to, to navigate through that, if that makes sense. God created us with a soul and a spirit and he knew exactly what its needs would be. And Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I hope you're reminding yourself that God made you a spiritual being and if God made you a spiritual being, he knew what your spirit would need. And then he put that into a package, the Bible, the Word of God. He put that in there for us to partake of because he said, I know my creation and what they need, so I'm going to give them instruction on how to get what they need. So we need, to, we need to be partaking of the Word of God. This is the biblical foundation that we as Christians cannot do without. It's not an option. It's not a choice. We can't just cut out what we don't want. We need the whole counsel of God. And I'm thankful for this church has preached the whole counsel of God, as le- at least as long as I've been here and heard about before I was here that this is a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. And that's good because that knows that you know when you come here each time, you're going to be fed spiritually and that's the part that you need to be fed. We have some fellowship lunches and cake every now and then that you know feeds you physically, but that's not what you come to church for. You know, you can get your food at home. Like you can eat whatever you want at home. But when you come here, we're going to eat the word of God. We're going to take that in. We're going to use it to help us spiritually. I was sharing with the young people on Friday night about a church uh, in America, actually, that has, has put out some uh, posts on their Facebook page and even on their website about what they believe about the Word of God. Uh, Brother Danny actually showed me this initially just a little while ago. I was shocked. I was, I was literally speechless when I, when I saw what they said they believe about the Word of God. I'll just share with you quickly what it is and then we'll keep going. It's, they said this on their Facebook page, The Bible is not the Word of God. They said they believe the Bible is not inerrant or infallible. This is a church. They're saying that you can't trust the Word of God. They're actually saying it's not the Word of God. And you can't actually trust everything that's in it. It's got errors. It's got falsities in it. This is what a church is saying. And they said this, that the Bible cannot live up to impossible modern standards. Last time I checked, the Bible is the standard. God's word is the standard for humankind. And that's what we preached many, you know, for years at this church. But 
this church that I saw, that's what they're saying, that it's not the word of God, it's got errors, and it can't live up to 2021. Well, I'm sorry, but the Bible is the standard. It's a thing that we need as spiritual beings. It's a thing that's going to help us understand God, understand ourselves, understand the world around us, understand how to navigate through 2021 and beyond. So I was warning our young people, don't, don't get caught up into this way of thinking because you need the word of God and you need to be able to stand on it and say, it is my foundation for my life. It is a thing that's going to help me as a spiritual being in this life and for the next. And so it's important that we remind ourselves that we cannot do without the Word of God. You can't do the Christian life without the Word of God, and you shouldn't be doing church without the Word of God. So I am thankful for what we have here, but we also need to continue that. We need to be a church that continues to believe that, preach that, and help others to understand that as well. The Bible tells me what I'm really like. It tells me where I fall short and it tells me how to address that. I'm thankful for that. I need that. It's a mirror to each of us. God tells us explicitly that we can be wise or foolish depending on whether we use the Bible as our foundation or not. And you're in Matthew 7, familiar verses here, but Matthew 7 verse 24, Jesus said this, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended the floods came the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not why for it was founded upon a rock your life as a christian as a spiritual being needs the rock of the word of god because it's going to endure all the hard things that come it's going to go it's going to get put under that duress but it's the word of god that keeps you steady that keeps you solid. And it says this, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the same things came, and what happened? It fell, and the great was the fall of it. And I, I think that church, you know, I'm not pronouncing any judgment on them, but I, I think that church, that they built their house upon the sand. And it's going to be a great fall, not, not a pretty one. So God's, God's saying here, Jesus saying here, there's, there's a difference between someone who's wise and someone who's foolish. I hope you would want to be in the wise category, having God calling you a wise person because you've chosen to trust in his word. I mean, I don't want God calling me a foolish person because that means I'm not spiritually discerning. And if I'm a spiritual being, I need to be spiritually discerned. I need to understand what that means. And I need to understand what I need to do to help me in the Christian life. And we all need that. So we need to see God's word this way. God doesn't lie, even though that church says, you know, the Bible's full of errors. God doesn't lie. So when he says that you're foolish for not taking him at his word, then we need to be concerned with that. So that's the first one. We cannot do without a biblical foundation. And the second one is this, and I'll get you to turn over to Romans chapter 10 with me. Romans chapter 10. So we can't do without a biblical foundation. But here's the next one, is that we cannot do without a preacher or without the gospel being preached. I'm not standing up here saying, you know, talking about the fact that you need a, a, a pastor or a missionary to preach the gospel, but in the Christian life, 
you better make sure that the gospel is being preached around you, by you, everything. We cannot do the Christian life without the gospel being preached. Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, it says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, isn't it? goes on to say, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? goes on to say, How shall they preach except they be, they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. For somebody to be saved, for somebody to be secure in Christ, and, you know, I understand there's many of us like that here this morning, but for somebody to be secure in Christ, a person needs to do three things that are listed in this verse. They need to hear about Christ, they need to believe on Christ, and they need to call upon Christ. But those things don't happen unless the first one happens, which is somebody preaching Christ somebody proclaiming the gospel, somebody telling someone about the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Uh, we've already sung about it this morning, and many of us even just have that just general understanding, you know, always thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins. Danny mentioned in his prayer that, you know, Jesus Christ's blood was spilt for us, and we have that understanding, but we need to remember it doesn't go any further unless we continue that. And yes, you can have someone standing up here and doing it towards a, a congregation such as ourselves, but it goes further than that, that it has to be happening all the time in the Christian life. We need to be thinking about it all the time in the Christian life. Whether you're a school student or someone at work or a retired person, whatever it is, that the gospel needs to be preached, it needs to be proclaimed, it needs to be shared so people can hear, believe and then call. That's what Jesus is saying. So these things have to happen for somebody's life to change. So the Christian life is not separate from somebody preaching Christ. They go hand in hand. Without someone sharing about God's word as a biblical foundation, there is only really bad news and hopelessness. If you don't have the good news of the gospel, what hope do you really have? Just you know, your thoughts and imaginations or someone's like nice words, fluffy things, but really without the gospel being preached, you don't have good news. And it mentions good news in, in that verse there. You as a preacher, and I say you as a preacher, if you're a Christian sharing the gospel, you're a preacher. It just means to proclaim. It just means to, to herald the truth. But you as a preacher can bring the gospel of peace and glad tidings of good things to someone else's life. Yeah, we all understand like we're happy to have it ourselves, but God's saying it's got to go further than that and somebody else needs to receive of that. So you need to see yourself as someone who's able to bring those good things to somebody else's life or at least give them an opportunity to embrace it. At least give them an opportunity to understand it and call upon Jesus Christ. You and I as preachers can help connect the dots of emptiness and confusion in a person's life and then show the solution of how to be filled and helped. And how does that come? It comes from the truth of the Word of God. So we take that first point of, I'm going to use this as my foundation, but foundation for what? Well, foundation for my relationships, for when I go to work, for when I'm in my family, for when I'm at school, wherever I am. I'm going to take this as the foundation and I'm going to use it to help somebody else. 
Because there's no point in us talking about just random things for the rest of our life that don't actually mean anything. Jesus Christ is the message that we need to be proclaiming to other people. I understand there's like secondary things in our lives, but essentially we have to make sure that Jesus Christ is being preached by us, by Christians. We can't sit around and wait for the world to preach Christ to people. That's not going to happen. Or what might happen is you get the churches, like I mentioned just earlier, they're not really churches and they're preaching some other gospel. They're preaching some other, other Bible, some other God. But we need to preach this one. So it's up to us to do that. You can help make life make sense for someone by bringing Jesus Christ into the picture. Just remember before you got saved, you know, what, how you viewed the world, how you viewed yourself, how you viewed God and everything like that. You needed Jesus Christ to be brought into focus in your life. That's the role of a preacher. That's the role of someone who is, is able to share Jesus Christ, is bringing Jesus Christ into the picture. You know, we had one of our young people trust Christ on Friday night. Praise the Lord. Like, I'm, I'm, I never get sick of seeing that happen, like, obviously, but it's just, it's amazing to me that, you know, 2021, with everything that our world is like right now, and a young person goes, actually, you know what? I need Jesus Christ. Amen. That's amazing. And I'm so thankful for that. But we had, some, we had someone ask, you know, oh, I want to get saved. Oh, can, I, can I do that? And they asked, you know, can, you, can, you, can we talk about it tonight? I'm like, yeah, sure, as if I'm going to say no to that. But so I talked to them and I said, because this is, this is a student that I've taught for about two years or nearly two years now in, in our Christian living classes in the school. So, you know, I understand where, what they're about and, you know, where they come from as in family and all that kind of stuff. But I said, what brought you tonight to actually ask about that? Because you've heard, you know, I just preach the gospel all the time. Like, I'm thankful that I have that opportunity. But I'm always talking about how to get saved. I said, so what brought you, brought you that decision tonight? And they said, well, it was actually something that you preached on camp two camps ago, high school camp. And I gave a salvation message. It was very clear, probably one of the clearest ones that I've given. And he said, that just stuck with me. That was just like rolling around in my head. And I'm thinking, you've had many times since then that the gospel has been preached to you or taught to you, but you're thinking about that one time. And it just made me think as I was putting all this together, I'm just thinking, you know what? That would never have happened if the gospel never got taught. And you might say, duh, but Jesus Christ has to be preached for somebody to accept Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful that he had that opportunity. I'm thankful that I was able to do that. And, you know, God worked all that together. But we need to see ourselves in that role. We need to see, you know what, I, I can sow a seed. I can share something from the word of God. I, I can continue to trust Christ and have the Bible as my foundation so it's like a representation of Jesus Christ and people can see something in my life. So you don't get somebody coming to Christ unless you're first preaching Jesus Christ. So the question is, what opportunity do you have to do that? Do you see it as an essential of the Christian life? Do you see it as something that you just cannot do without? Something that's imperative? If you don't already, I hope that you're starting to see that this is an essential thing. This is something that we need to be mindful of. So I'm thankful for that. But you know, 
2 Corinthians 4.3 says this, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It sounds like a no-brainer statement, doesn't it? Like, well, of course, if you're hiding it, you're hiding it from the ones who need it. But we need to be mindful of that, that we can't just be happy that we have salvation. We need to share it with some other people. We need to be the people that are doing that. Second Corinthians 5 goes on, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And here's the part I want you to see. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So basically God's saying, hey, you've received of Christ. You've been reconciled to Jesus Christ. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to help somebody else be reconciled to Christ. So you might say, I don't really have a ministry in this church. I'm not really serving or doing anything. Well, God says as a Christian, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the ministry of sharing Jesus Christ with somebody else. Hey, that's an important part. there's, There's ministries in the church that if they didn't happen anymore, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But if we didn't have people sharing Jesus Christ with other people... That's, that's pretty bad. So we've been given that ministry. That's something God's given to us. It's a privilege to be part of that. And you might say, well, I never get to stand up in front of a class or in front of a church. Hey, there's many ways that you can be preaching Jesus Christ. You know, I'm encouraged by some of our young people that they're choosing to use their, you know, devices and social media and stuff to do just that. Because there's a lot of rubbish that goes out on that platform. But there are some who decide, you know what, I'm actually going to share Jesus Christ across this platform. Praise the Lord. You don't have to be the one standing here to do it. And it's not just our young people. Like Any of us can do that. Any of us can do that. So we need to see that this is an essential of, a, of the Christian life, something we can't do without. Okay, that's number two. Number three is this. Hebrews chapter 12. If we flick over to there, Hebrews chapter 12, we'll see the third thing that we cannot do without in the Christian life. And this one's not so fun. <clears throat> this one's not so enjoyable, but it is just as necessary. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read a few verses from here. But the, the third thing is we cannot do without chastisement. You might say, what's chastisement? Correction. You cannot do the Christian life without being corrected. If you can't be taught then there's a big issue. If you're not teachable in something, there's a big issue. And that's just general life. Like if you have an employer and you can't be taught what to do in that job, there's big issues. But God says, you know what, even in the Christian life, you need to be told when something's not right and you need to be able to accept it and get it right. That's a big part of the Christian life. And we can't do without that. Hebrews chapter 12, it says verse 1 here, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, that verse there references weights and sin, things that hold you back from living the Christian life like you ought to, how God expects us to. You know, there's weights, they may not be sin but there's things that we may have our priorities not in order. 
But then there's the other side. There are sins that are also holding us back. And that word beset basically means a, a competitor thwarting in every direction. It's saying that as you go through the Christian life, you're going to come across opposition from every direction. And I would say more times than not, it's probably us bringing that opposition against ourselves when we probably don't choose to do the first one and have the Bible as our authority and we go, no, 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 I think I got this. Or I've seen someone else do it this way, so I'll just I'll do that. And so we come across opposition from every direction and those are the things that hold us back from the Christian life we're supposed to live, the blessings that come out of the Christian life, being able to share Jesus Christ with others, whatever it is. So there's things that hold us back from these things. At the end of the day, chastening or correction is necessary for the Christian. Verse 6 of Hebrews 12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. We need to be careful that we don't um, gloss over that part of chastisement. That God only chastens those he loves. God only corrects those he loves. You know what? I've got two kids. I correct my children when they need correction, but I don't really care too much about the kid in the shops that needs correction. As in, I don't care too much about me going and how do I do this and how do we get... I'm going to chasten the ones that I love. And God works the same way. It's not that he doesn't care about people, but he's saying, you know what? I've saved you unto a purpose... And for that purpose to be fulfilled, then there just needs to be some correction here and there. Okay, So the fact that you get corrected by God means you're his child. He loves you. He's not going to do it without you being his child. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. So that's actually supposed to be a comfort to us. He explains this over and over in his word that he loves us too much to leave us the same. You know, the Bible says that when we become saved, we become a new creature. So things are going to change. And we have to be okay with that. If we're going to live out our lives in the Christian way that God wants us to, we have to be okay with some change. Verse 9 talks about even our earthly fathers or even authorities correct us at times. But then look at verse 10. It says that they, those ones, our earthly fathers and such, they verily for a few days chastened us after their, our own pleasure, but he for our, what's the next word? Prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God corrects us for our profit, for our gain, that something good comes out of it. How does that happen? How does he correct us for profit? Because we're partaking of his holiness. You know, holiness really just means to be separate from sin. And that's what God is. God says, I'm holy. And so he says, you know, be ye holy as I'm holy. Like, be separate from sin. So how do you be separate from sin? Well, you have to be reminded that some things in your life are sin. You have to be reminded that that's not the good path to take because that's not holiness and you're supposed to be Christ-like. So this is where chastisement, this is where correction comes in. I mean, you understand you do this with children all the time. We're supposed to live our lives like this, or you're supposed to obey these rules in the home, or what, you know, as a society, what a member of society, whatever it is, that means there's going to be some things that need to be corrected. So we enter into his holiness by being corrected. It's amazing that God cares for us this much that he would do this. 
When God corrects a Christian, he's showing us that there's sin we need to be separate from. And it's not necessarily pleasurable, but it is profitable. And that's what these verses are saying. It's for our profit. Verse 11 in Hebrews 12, it says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. See, sometimes we don't think about these words or think about these verses like we should. We just go, oh, yeah, chastening's necessary. Correction's necessary. But look at what it actually produces, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You know, chastisement is the same word as instruction in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says that all scripture is given by God, given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for all these things, and instruction. Chastisement is the same word as instruction. It's to help. It's never to hurt. It's never to harm, and it's never unnecessary. It's only ever there to help. It's training and education that cultivates the soul by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever had a passion that's perhaps misplaced or out of order? Well, God's correction is to bring those things back into correct alignment. That's what it's for. So there's no substitute for these things. Isn't that a shame? (laughs) There's, There's no way around it. But really, that's a good thing because it means you don't have to go looking for all the different ways to get things right. You just go, you know what? God already has it right here. And if I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit, so he's also going to poke me and prod me about that. He's going to bring that to my remembrance. There's no other way that leads to the kind of Christ-likeness that God desires us to have. You can't escape it. You know, we live in a day where we think a shortcut is most effective. You know, I remember it's nothing. It's like absolutely nothing in the scheme of life. I remember a few years ago, one of our young people, uh, they were talking about playing a game, like whether it was on their phone or laptop or something. And it was one of those games where you proceed with the levels and, you know, you get coins that help you to get to the next level and such. I hate those games. But Essentially, you could also spend real money to buy these fake coins to proceed to the next level. So some people would spend hours and hours just trying to do it for free, but this guy was like, you know what, I'm just going to spend the 20 bucks and get the 400,000 coins so I can get to level 58 or whatever it is. And I'm like, mate, like it's your money. You can do whatever you want with it, but that's a really bad way to just approach things. Because you're just looking for the shortcut, but you haven't actually put in any effort. And I understand, it's just a stupid computer game. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But if we take that approach to other things, we just think, oh, the quickest, easiest way to get there. I take a shortcut. But you're actually supposed to learn some things along the way. The Christian life is full of learning along the way. I mean, you look at the Old Testament and how God made them learn along the way, a long, long way. It's never the quick, easy fix. God very rarely, rarely works like that. So when it comes to being corrected, it might take some time. It might be uncomfortable, but there's no way to escape that, to get to the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We've got to go through it. Not just be concerned with the, the arrival, but learning things along the journey. 
Now, I'm sure that we've all been taught that by parents and such, and you probably taught some kids that, that you know, you learn some things along the way, do some hard things, and then you get to endure and you get blah, blah, blah. Well, God's the same way. This is necessary in the Christian life. We cannot do the Christian life without God's correction. It's plain and simple, but it just comes down to us going, yeah, I'm going to endure that. I'm going to accept that. Actually, I acknowledge that I need it. Not just that it's a good thing, but it's actually something I need. So we cannot do the Christian life without that. Here's the last two, and I'll do these two together, and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 11. If we have a look here, Hebrews chapter 11. We cannot do the Christian life without faith and works. You cannot do it. You cannot do the Christian life without faith and without works. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We cannot separate the Christian life from taking God at his word. It just does not work. You have to have it. There is no such thing as a Christian life without God's word. It just it doesn't exist. Okay? You might call yourself a church or call yourself a Christian without the word of God, but at the end of the day, just because you call yourself that doesn't mean you are. Okay? So you cannot separate the Christian life from taking God at his word. Without that, without that, we wouldn't know we needed God in the first place. We wouldn't know that he's the way, the truth, the life. When it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for in verse 1, it has everything to do with a belief and trust that God says who he is. That God is who he says he is, sorry. It has everything to do with that. Don't forget that our main purpose on earth is actually to glorify God. You know, you talk to a young person, you say, why are you here? It might be a primary school age kid. Why are you here? Like, what are you on this earth for? And a lot of the time they'll be like, I don't know. Have fun. Play computer games and spend 20 bucks on coins. No. But our main purpose, whether you're young or old or in between, is to glorify God, making him number one in our lives. That's it in a nutshell, really. That's our main purpose. There's tasks that he has us to do, and one of those is preaching the gospel. But our main just reason for being here is to make him number one in our lives, to glorify him, to make him look good, not ourselves. So when we do this, when we glorify him and make him number one in our lives, God is pleased. That pleases God. And I want to be someone that pleases God. I know that's not going to happen 100% of the time, but I want to make my life count to pleasing God. So we're, we're told to do this. We're fulfilling the purpose with which we are created when we glorify God. Have a look at Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. So pleasing God, therefore fulfilling your purpose in life, is tied to faith, is tied to your trust that his word is the word of God, that his word can help you, that you are a spiritual being, you need spiritual input. It's all linked together. So you cannot do the Christian life without faith because it's saying, I acknowledge that God is who he says he is. I acknowledge that I need him. I acknowledge the word of God is a necessary thing. And you put all these things in place and you end up fulfilling your purpose just by having faith. There are many things we can do as a Christian and many choices we can make. However, it's only the choices made by faith that actually please God. 
Think about that for a second. It's only the choices that you make by faith that actually please God. How many choices and things do you do every single day, every single week, that are actually made based on faith? I would have to say I don't make every single decision based on faith. I don't know if you're the same, but that's confronting to me. Now, I said this is like, you know, uh, essential things in the Christian life. That doesn't mean just because it's essential, it's easy to come by or easy to hold on to. It's something you actually have to work towards. If I just let myself go naturally the way that my natural self goes, it's not going to be leaning towards faith in God. It's going to be leaning towards me. So we have to make sure that our decisions are made by faith so we can please God, fulfill our purpose. You know, I think for the most part, I please God with my faith-based decisions when things are unstable and things are unsure in my life because then I go, oh, that's actually beyond me. Now I need to actually exercise faith in God who says he can take care of things. Like, you know, you go down that path. That's, you know bittersweet I guess because sometimes it's like oh what you have to have things go bad before you start trusting in God unfortunately that's just our human nature coming out but the good thing is is that he always provides he always holds his end up so we're discussing the essentials of the Christian life and things that we can't do without it's essential that our faith in God is not just a mental ascent it's not just a mental acknowledgement, like it's all up here. Yes, I you know, believe that it's all true. It actually has to have action. It has to have an outworking, and that's where the works come in. So when I say faith in God, that's not just believing he exists, but believing he has everything in his control. Believing his promises are real. Believing when he says he knows a better way, that it's actually the best way. This needs to go beyond mental acknowledgement and lived out and expressed by, by our very works. James 2.20, you don't have to turn there, but it says, faith without works is dead. We all know it. Faith without works is dead. But does your life as a Christian represent that? Are you making choices because you believe that that's actually true, that faith without works is dead? You know, the best way, I think, to understand this is by realising it's the same as saying love without action is dead. And I think we would kind of get that. I think we would pretty quickly understand, yeah, if you love someone but there's no action coming out, then is it really love? You know, I could say, if you said, prove your love to me that you have for your wife. I'd say, well, I tell her I love her. I love you. Isn't that enough? Well, tell me something else. Okay, I text her that I love her. That's, that's another thing, isn't it? I tell other people that I love her. I talk about how much I love her. That's what we do with our faith sometimes. Oh, I have faith in God and I tell other people that I have faith. Yeah, but is there any action that comes out of it that makes it alive, that makes it real? If, if my wife only found out that I love her by me saying I love you, but there was no, never any action... Not sure how well that would go for very long. <laughs> and you'd be the same. Someone's telling you they love you, but there's nothing coming except for just the words. It's like, yeah, well, talk's cheap. Where, where's the actual evidence? 
And that's what God's saying here, is faith without works is dead. Where's the evidence of your faith? Those two things, once again, they're inseparable. They go hand in hand, two, two sides of the same coin, whatever analogy you want to use. But you can't have faith without works. And works without faith is useless. Okay. So it says this, James 2.18, I will show thee my faith by my works. Why are we saying this again? Because this is an essential to the Christian life. Someone should be able to look at your Christian life and say, ah, I can see some action happening from the words that they say they believe. They say that Jesus can change their life, but now I actually see some things happening. They say that Jesus can answer prayers and they're actually praying. They're putting that into action. There's results. There's actually something happening there. In Hebrews 11, and I'm nearly done, in Hebrews 11, you know what God says, Moses, Rahab, Abel, Abraham and Noah, among others, you know what it says that they had in common? It says that they all sat around talking about how much faith they had. Is that what it said? That's not what it says. It says that their faith moved them into action. It wasn't just up here and it wasn't just coming out of their mouth. It moved them to actually do something. It moved them to action. Moses went out. Rahab received spies. Abel offered a sacrifice. Abraham offered up his son, amongst many other things. Noah prepared an ark. Their faith was put into action. An essential of their Christian life was making sure that they had faith, but works that accompanied their faith. How else would people see Jesus Christ in their life? That's how we're supposed to think. How is someone going to see Jesus Christ in my life? Is it just because I go to church and I talk about God? Or is there something in my life where I'm actually putting action into it? I'm actually saying, it says this, but I need to do this. That's what we need to be concerned with. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves, are there things I only talk about having faith in, but are lacking any action which makes it a living faith? And that's a challenging question. Because when I ask myself that, there's too many things I'd like to admit that don't have the action behind them. But God in his goodness continues to allow me to be a Christian and represent him and chastises, corrects, and helps me to get those things correct, get those things right. Both faith and works are integral to the Christian life. Without them, we would never use his word as a spiritual foundation. We would never make the effort to preach the gospel to another soul. We would never accept God's chastisement or correction and we would never fulfill our purpose or please God. So you could almost say that faith and works are the essential of essentials. Coming back to that TV show with the people out, you know, stranded on islands, if they had to choose out of water, shelter and food, they'd probably pick water. They'd probably come down to, if I can only have one of those three, It'll be water. Because I can live without food for a while and, you know, shelter, yeah, you know, you can get by. But water is the essential of the essentials. And probably faith and works are the essential of the essentials because it's actually tied to everything else that we've talked about, plus more that we haven't even mentioned. So these being some essentials means they're things we need to keep appreciating and coming back to. Things that we as a church, Good Shepherd Baptist Church, need to continue to proclaim help instruct other people in. And you might say, well, this morning 
I have all of these things. I'm, I'm pretty good on all these fronts. Then we need to make sure we're encouraging others to do so in their Christian, in their Christian life, making sure those are the things that they cannot do without. So I hope that's a help. I hope that's a, a, a blessing, a challenge, an encouragement, all wrapped up into one thing and uh, some things for us to think about and pray about. And uh, so we're just going to have a word of prayer this morning. Thank you for your attention today. And then Paul's going to come and lead us in a song as we close this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again uh, that you've allowed us to be here today. You've given us the life that we have, the breath in our lungs, and Lord, even just the understanding that your word is true, that your word is your word, and that it can help us. I pray you'd help each of us this day and going into this week to remember these things, to count them as necessary and essential in our Christian walk, Lord God. Help us also to encourage those who do not know you yet, perhaps those who are are new to the faith, Lord, help us to encourage them in these things as well. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the day we've had already. I pray you continue to bless us as we leave from this place and bring us back safely tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.